Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. Hey, it's Michael Fabiano here from SI.com, and I'm excited about the upcoming launch of the SI Fantasy Podcast. Myself, along with Dr. Roto and the Fantasy Executive, will get you ready for your fantasy drafts in 2020 and guide you to fantasy football glory. Get on board with the SI Fantasy Podcast and win your fantasy football league. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. The Bystander Podcast, in partnership with Bainbridge Strong and the Island's own Pegasus Coffee Company, is proud to offer this special release whole bean blend for a limited time. A medium dark roast of coffees from Colombia, Ethiopia, and Sumatra. It offers a balanced, full-bodied cup, perfect for virtually any pairing or occasion. $5 from the sale of each 12-ounce bag will go to Bainbridge-based small business or nonprofit of your choice at checkout. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, we're talking fire is everywhere with um, our local deputy fire chief, Jared. How are you today? Good, Tim. How are you doing? Real well. Good to see you. Looking forward to this rain this weekend and uh, better air quality. Absolutely. Get get the smoke moved out. Get uh, get some moisture uh, not only in the air, but uh, more importantly on the ground. So it's it's uh, it's definitely uh, a welcome change from uh, from the past few weeks for sure. How you, how long have you been with the fire department? 
Uh, I first joined the department uh, back in February of 2006 uh, was, was when I came to, to Bainbridge. And where'd you come from? Uh, before that, I was uh, with the fire department in Greeley, Colorado. They're on the kind of on the northern front range, uh, a little bit north of, uh, of Denver. And Colorado, Colorado people similar to Seattle people? Uh, I, I tend to get along with most everybody. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, everybody seems to, seems to be, uh, pretty friendly and, you know, whether it was, uh, Colorado or, uh, here, uh, in the Seattle area. I just see a lot of transplants between Colorado and Washington. You know, people move from here to there and there to here. So I just kind of <laughs> assume there's some like-mindedness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an outdoorsy kind of guy. So, you know, I think one of the, one of the only differences is, is, you know, we've got the, a lot of water here, uh, with, with, uh, with the sound, but, um, having the mountains around and lots of, lots of uh, opportunities to go outside and recreate. Um, I I think there's a lot of similarities there. Does Colorado get a little bit drier, drier than our state? Oh yeah, yeah, D- drier but uh, hotter in the summers and colder in the winters. Uh, at least as compared to the uh, to the to the Puget Sound area here. So, um, uh, but yeah, d- definitely dry in the summers, uh, colder uh, in the winters, warm in the summers. Um, you know, here is is you know the the weather is is uh, a lot more moderate. I would say we don't have those those big extremes one way or the <laughs> other. So you think the air quality is a little bit better since we're uh, near the ocean and such? For, from what I remember, um, yeah, g- generally speaking, uh, you know, uh, I, re- I remember a lot more and a lot more frequent bad air quality days in the front range than I have here in the, in the Seattle area. Well, let's get into it. We've had a week of kind of post-COVID lockdown in air quality lockdown and Right now, we're in a situation where our neighborhood is the worst worst air globally. Um, we've had a lot of statewide fires that have, you know, I think, don't fact check me here, people, but I think there's uh, over 600,000 acres that have burned this year, um, close to 200 homes, um, huge fires. I think we had eight or nine different counties with major fires from anywhere from 70 acres to 300,000 plus acres. It's a topic for discussion and I, I can't wait to discuss it with you. What has changed? There seems to be some, it's a political year too. So there's some fighting about whether it's climate change or forestry practices, just from statewide observation how do you think we've got ourselves into this situation that we currently are sitting at home, not breathing the air, not going outside? Yeah, yeah I, you know th- that's a great question, Tim, and and uh, I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's it's uh, a couple things. One, uh, obviously, climate change is is something that's real and it's a big deal. And while climate change itself, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily causes fires. Uh, it's certainly going to exacerbate fires that that ignite and happen, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, 
we're, we're, we're tending to see um, fire seasons that are longer uh, than we have in the past. Uh, so before, you know, if we expected a fire season on, on the east half of the state, you know, to kind of pick up in mid to late July and run through, you know, mid to late September, now we're seeing fires start earlier and burn longer, um, more into, into October. So, um, we're, we're, we're seeing the, the, the season, uh, last longer, um, but, uh, you know, I think when you couple that with, uh, the forest management practices, as you mentioned, um, you know, you, you kind of have those two worlds collide. And when you have that fire, when you take, um, uh, lands that, um, that haven't been managed, uh, with fire in mind and are not. Uh, any longer in their normal fire regime cycle, uh, where you know uh, b- before the early early twentieth century, uh, when uh, the U.S. Forest Service was created, and uh, we started this notion of full suppression policy uh, in in the the forests in the West, um, you know that that kind of upset the the balance of things. And, uh, now we get a buildup of fuels and, uh, you know, trees are, are spaced more densely together. Uh, so that climate change and, and, uh, I think the other part is the human element. Uh, so as, as development moves into, to more rural areas and, and this, this idea of wanting to, to live in and around, uh, nature in the natural environment, um, it, it, it cooks up this recipe where uh, some bad things can happen. Uh, and it manis- manifests itself in, in pretty significant and severe fires where uh, there's evacuations, you know, uh, people can get hurt, people can get killed, people lose uh, their homes and all their possessions. So um, it's, I don't think it's anything new. Uh, but I, I do think for us here in the Puget Sound in Western Washington, uh, within the past few years, it is something that, that is something we're talking about now. So from that, uh, standpoint, uh, recognizing that, uh, there is a potential to have, uh, wildfires on the West side of the Cascades. Uh, I think that's a new conversation, um, and I think it's, frankly, I think it's overdue and I think it's a good one to have. Is there a lost message with, you know, I, I grew up, Smokey the Bear was on all the time. Um, give a hoot, don't pollute too. There was a lot more PSAs going on that was a constant reminder. Have we kind of lost track of keeping track of burning bans and fire safety and that education? wheel of it? That's, that's a great question. Uh, I know that, that, uh, the fire department here on Bainbridge, uh, works real hard to, to get uh, the message out. Um, but I, I think one of the, one of the challenges is, uh, there, there's a lot of competition for, for getting the message out. Uh, there's with, with social media, uh, you know, we're in this information age and, 
There's lots of information uh, flying all the time, a lot of different topics. I mean, covers all the spectrum. So I think that sometimes it's easy for some of those types of messages to get lost in everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Has our preparedness with wildfires um, decreased? Uh, Have we lost funding? Have we not manage the forests as well as we had in the past um, besides it being drier and a lot more fires in my estimation. I actually, this is not me thinking on fact-based information, more bro science, but it, it's hotter and it seems like world's on fire and, you know, hell's on earth sometimes. Um, have we dropped the ball in, in certain aspects of funding and, and taking care of these forests? So, so that, that's a great question. So uh, I think that uh, certainly from a Bainbridge Island perspective, uh, I would like to think that, that we're more prepared to, to respond to fires. I think the fact that we're actually talking about them now and have been for at least the past couple years, uh, more than we, than we have before, at least since I've been around, uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think awareness is is half the battle. So um, in 2010, so a decade ago, the the fire department here, uh, we developed a community wildfire protection plan. And in 2010, when we were looking for community involvement with that plan, there was none to be had. Uh, mm-hmm. We couldn't beg folks to to want to participate in uh, taking a look at wildfire on the island and things we can do to to uh, help make the island more resilient uh, if if a fire was to occur. So fast forward to the past two or three years with uh, climate change uh, being front and center on a global stage, uh, that has provided uh, a platform for us to talk more about uh, about wildfire. So you know, over the past decade, uh, the fire department uh, has has done a lot on the operations side. So the, the emergency response side, uh, we've got new equipment, we've got better training, all the firefighters uh, on the fire department here are all wildland firefighter uh, trained. Um, so yeah, nice uh, new digs. We, we definitely thank you to the community for that. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, in in some ways, uh, we I feel like we're we're more prepared certainly as a fire department uh, than we have been in the past. Uh, we, we certainly have a better educational message uh, and platform that we've been using uh, in terms of community outreach uh, to to educate uh, homeowners and property owners about what they can do uh, to to help make their homes uh, safer and more resilient from wildfire. Uh, I think that the tricky part, uh, the the tough nut to crack is the mitigation side of things. And what I mean by that is uh, things that uh, property owners can do, uh, that uh, architects, contractors, developers can do uh, to to build in some resiliency to not only uh, give uh, homeowners uh, a fighting chance for their property to be saved and for them to to get out safely if there was a fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also gives us a fighting chance to be able to defend homes 
and to be able to get people out of harm's way. Uh, but you know, that's ultimately that also needs to be a transition into discussion about uh, uh, forest health. Well, there's a lot of resources on being prepared here on the island and such. But part of me also thinks that it's it's not reaching, it's not hitting, like you said, with all the other distractions going on. But when it when it comes to homeowners doing their due diligence, you know, like let's say I want to have a hundred foot buffer around my house from any dry fire catching type stuff. Um, I want to know where my fire extinguisher is. I want to know how we leave the house as a family. Um, what our pet routine is going to be. How do we get the puppies out and, and stuff like that. But is there a sense that we may have gone too green on this island and in the preservation of keeping it rural that we are a fire hazard um, with the amount of green trees and the and the building styles that we're incorporating through city management? So I, I think that uh, I think it's important to have balance. I think balance is really important. And I don't think you ever want the pendulum to swing too far one way or too far the other way. So, um, you know, one side of the pendulum is we're not doing anything. We're not touching the natural environment. It will exist in the state that it's in um, until such time that, uh, you know, mother nature intervenes in some Mm -hmm. other way where it, where uh, it gets altered. So, uh, so I think that's one side of the pendulum and and maybe uh, what you were alluding to, you know, uh, of going too green. The other side of the pendulum is this notion that in order to mitigate uh, danger or risk due to fire, that you have to clear cut everything and basically create parking lots and big open fields that way that, you know, that you can't have a, a, a fire in the trees or anything like that. And I think that's the other side of the pendulum. I think the right answer lies somewhere in the middle uh, between mm-hmm. those two. And I think that uh, the latest science, uh, s- the latest studies on uh, homes that are lost and homes that are saved and health of the forest, uh, you know, it's it's not one or the other. It's somewhere uh, in between. And I think that's that's the balance that, that we need to find uh, on Bainbridge and, and get things uh, a little bit more in an, in an equilibrium state uh, than, than they have been. Okay, let's go hyper-local here. And uh, what are the chances of a massive blaze on our island? Uh, well, they're, they're actually uh, pretty good if you have the right conditions. And in the past couple of weeks, uh, we had all of the key ingredients for that to happen. Uh, on the 10th of September, we had a pretty serious uh, wildfire off Fletcher Bay Road. I'm not sure if you heard about that fire. Yeah, and I want to get back to how that information is is put out because I went looking for that and talked about it. And there was a fire on, on my road on Lovell, too, because of a transmitter that blew. Right. So, uh, so we had this weather pattern that uh, was a little bit unusual. It doesn't happen all the time. So we're used to the summers uh, being dry, being on the warm side these days. Uh, but a weather pattern uh, formed up 
and we ended up with uh, some pretty significant uh, easterly winds. And when we add the easterly wind component in, uh, that can create a really, really uh, potentially dangerous situation. So uh, we had a lot of those factors that lined up uh, in the south side of the county. Uh, south Kitsap Fire Rescue had a couple significant uh, brush fires, wildfires uh, during that time where we had the winds going on. Uh, in fact, one of those fires, they had a, uh, a couple DNR uh, helicopters that that uh, were assisting um, containment of those. Explain but, what DNR means. Uh, Washington Department of Natural Resources. Thank you. Yep. So uh, our fire on the 10th, uh, the, the good news about that fire, if there was good news, is that uh, we didn't have the wind uh, that day. Hmm. So uh, we were able to get that fire contained. Uh, it took us a couple hours to contain it. Um, it it uh, was uh, almost 20 hours before we had it fully extinguished. Uh, it went to greater than three alarms, uh, which is a lot of resources that are coming in uh, to, to help uh, get that thing under control. Um, but had we had wind uh, on that day, I think the story would have been much, much different um, uh, based on, on the, the conditions that we had there. Okay. So, so, so I guess to go back and answer your question, uh, the, the potential... Uh, for uh, a bad day to happen on the island with the right conditions, it's definitely there. Okay. Let me get a little specific about the Fletcher Bay one. Was it on the uh, island center side, you know, where the disposal is? And how far off the, the main road of Fletcher was it? And do you know what started that fire? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, our access, our best access to that fire was off Fletcher Bay, uh, it, it was on the east side uh, of uh, Fletcher Bay Road. Um, it was about, uh, I would say, uh, six, seven hundred feet, 800 feet off the roadway, mm -hmm. uh, uh, accessed only by trail. Yeah, because uh, I went, I drove by the next day, I didn't see any damages. Yeah, you, you, you can't see it from the road and you couldn't see it from the driveway that, that we put trucks down to access it. You actually have to to get uh, to park the park in the driveway. Uh, it's a long multiple home driveway. And then yeah, you it's actually very have wooded. To hike in from there. And and the hike in from there is another uh, you know, three or four hundred foot hike uh, off mm -hmm. the driveway uh, through uh, through the woods to to get to it. So uh and that's what made it so difficult to locate was because you really couldn't couldn't necessarily see it from from the road. That fire was called in by uh, by a, a pilot uh, that was flying over the south end of the island. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, saw saw a smoke column, uh, had the wherewithal to say that doesn't look right. That that looks like it could be something bad, and called it in to to nine one one, and. Uh, we still had a hard time pinpointing, pinpointing where it was, and uh, we, we called for Airlift Northwest, uh, the medical helicopter, and they were able to, to do a reconnaissance flight for us and pinpoint the help to pinpoint the location. Um, and then we had a, another 911 call 
uh, of somebody that uh, that w- that actually was able to see the smoke from the fire uh, on the ground on on Fletcher Bay. Uh, so we all of those things kind of lined up and came together. But the the cause of that fire uh, was um, uh, a a recreational fire, uh, a small campfire that hadn't been properly extinguished. Well, so they thought the fire was out, went to bed. Well, yeah, because yeah, everybody goes to bed at 8.30 and that fire was like 11 o'clock at night or something, right? Yeah, well, the, the, the you know, we first uh, got the 911 call from, uh, from the overhead plane seeing the smoke column uh, at about 5.45 in the afternoon. Oh, okay. But but in talking with neighbors, uh, they had strong smells of smoke that morning. They'd been smelling smoke the day before. Uh, we believe that that fire uh, was actually last tended to uh, a few days before. Wow. Uh, before uh, it actually got big enough and broke out um, where it put up a lot of smoke. It, it kind of festered and futzed around real low. And with uh, with the smoke in the area from from uh, the other wildfires here in the West, um, it, it, it made it difficult to, to, to locate until it finally broke out. So this is great information. We, we get our um, little warning on our phone that says, you know, stay away from Fletcher Bay. And for the listeners, if you, if you don't have the emergency uh, system, it's on a device called Nixle, correct? I-N or correct. N-I-X-L-E. Is there other ways that people could get um, warnings? So, so that's uh, that's a great way to to get uh, uh, warnings from the city. Uh, the fire department also tries to to post on Twitter uh, and Facebook as well. But as you know, Twitter and Facebook aren't gonna aren't gonna necessarily give you a, a text message or any type of override. So, uh, we try to to coordinate with the city uh, and with. Uh, with the city's uh, emergency manager, have a really good relationship with them uh, on that, and um, uh, to to try to make sure that we're getting information shared with everybody. Well, give me a little information about this um, fire on my road on Lovell that happened. What was the very next day? Uh, that is a good question. Um, you got to stop with the good questions. I'm a pro. So t- <laughs> so. Um, T- t- tell me a little bit about what you know. And then I heard that maybe, maybe Lovell and back. Wallace at around, I, w- I believe, 9 p.m., a transformer sparked some vegetation fire. Uh, you know, we did, uh, uh, we did have um, a couple of other uh, small brush fires, um, uh, and one of them was on Wyatt. Um, and I know the crews were able to get out there and uh, get a quick knockdown of that. Uh, yeah, it doesn't it's pretty sound low key. Like, yeah, it didn't sound like there it it uh, there was any danger. They were able to handle it with with a single unit. So, which could be one of the reasons why it's it's not burning super bright on my radar. <laughs> um, let me get back to Fletcher. Is there any rumor that? Uh, there was issues with the hydrant on station 22 or something like that, where you were denied access to water somehow. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's, there wasn't good hydrants in the area on Fletcher Bay where the fire was. So something that, that you may not know is that 
you know, I would say probably about 50% of the island doesn't have fire hydrants. So the fire department has water tanker trucks. We call them tenders. They carry 3,000 gallons of water. Uh, and when we know we're going to need uh, to bring water uh, to the fire, uh, we'll, we'll roll the tenders. So in this particular case, uh, we had a good tender response to, to supply us water once we were able to get hose lines back to the fire. Uh, one of the tenders went to, to station 22. We've got a hydrant in the back and went and uh, tried to fill off that hydrant and it, it, uh, it wasn't functioning properly. And uh, they relocated the hydrant in front of the station. It worked fine. So uh, we were able to find out what the problem was and, and get that corrected. So that hydrant's back in service. So yeah, that could be a um, scary moment, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, it, you know, it, it happens from time to time. You never like to see it happen, but um you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, we troubleshoot and, uh, uh, all of our apparatus operators are, are trained, uh, uh, to, to a high, high level. So, uh, we're, we were able to overcome that really quickly and it, it didn't have any adverse impact, uh, to the operations or the outcome of the incident. Uh, but, uh, it's, you know, it, it's not something that we like to see. Right. I don't mean to be hypercritical either, but isn't there a, a review process? I know fire department shows up at the schools, checks the fire extinguishers, businesses, yep. stuff like that. It would just make sense to me that you would check if the water's on at the fire station. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the fire stations uh, aren't any different than, than any other building when, that we inspect when, when they uh, get built. Uh, so, uh, all of those systems were were checked and and were operating properly at the time. Uh, the fire department inspects all the fire hydrants on the island once a year, so uh, we, we get a- around. We we turn them on, uh, make sure that that we can get water to them. Uh, if there's any uh, deficiencies in those hydrants, we mm-hmm. pass the uh, those deficiencies along to the water purveyors. Uh, and in this particular case. Um, you know, that hydrant out back is not a hydrant that, that we used on a regular basis uh, at the station, and it, uh, it hadn't had its annual inspection yet this year. So, Yeah, um, with the remodel, you have the new um, hydrant in the front as opposed to the back, right? Or are they both working? Yeah, so, it, yep. So, um, so, yeah, so both those hydrants went in uh, when that station was rebuilt, and during the, during the – uh, inspection process, uh, to be able to get occupancy for that building. You know, part of the things that, that, uh, that, that we do is we check all of those systems, whether it's alarm systems, sprinkler systems, new fire hydrants, all those things get checked. Um, how so, old is that new building? Is it one or uh, two years old? Uh, we moved in, uh, it's less than two years old. Yeah. We okay. moved in, in, in 2019. All right. Now it's time for me to get critical and I hope you can be a little bit um, critical of our land trust, our city of Bainbridge Island and our parks department a bit um, because we're all in, you know, the typical land owner like myself and yourself, we're all in this together more now than ever. And I look at a lot of, Um, the critical area ordinance based around trees and vegetation and easements and such. And 
there's huge fines for chopping down trees and such. But I also look at the Parks Department, who manages land trust areas, um, the city of Bainbridge Island, who has multiple public parcels, and two of what I think is the biggest fire hazard pieces of property on the island are the Suzuki property that's been battled forever because it's a spindly dry um, forest. There's, there's not much light, so you don't get the big girth in the trees. You get toothpick forest. And then I look over there at uh, across from the parks department at Strawberry Hill Park, and there's just a lot of dead wood. And I know the parks department does a tremendous job of – you know, having nursing trees and grinding up stuff for pathways and maintaining great trails and signage for evacuation and such. Um, Why do you think that there's such a demand on the private landowner not to mess with vegetation and trees, but yet the city doesn't seem to clean up their own backyard? And in my humble opinion, and a non- uh, fire guy, I, I, I see fire hazards in big parcels of land that the city owns that they fight over and do nothing with. How hard would it be just to say, hey, you know, we got some free firewood, you know, you just got to clear some of these dead trees out of here. Um, take what you want. All hands on deck. Let's clean up this forest. So, I think you bring up a, a really good point here uh, and and something that I that I touched on earlier. That's trying to find the equilibrium here. The balance, uh, yeah. And trying to find that balance. And, and I think that really where we're at now, uh, and, and I mentioned mitigation, the mitigation side of things, and that could be uh, land management, can be, you know, more fire hydrants on the island, uh, better access to certain areas, certain parcels on the island. Uh, when I talk about mitigation, I'm talking about those things. But uh, I think that what really has to happen, kind of what the next step is, uh, and what uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that we can have happen, is that we can take best practice for uh wildfire uh, risk and and best practices to, to mitigate that risk. And we can take those best practices and deconflict uh, with uh, current city ordinances because the two oftentimes uh, they cross paths and they tend to be this mutually exclusive thing. And what I mean by that is there's best practice out there for how to uh, manage one's properly, uh, property um, to, to make it more resilient to fire. Uh, and not all the things in best practice that are recommended to be done can be done under currency ordinance. So until we get to a point where we can deconflict those two things, uh, unfortunately, um, property owners at the end of the day get caught in the middle uh, of that, of wanting to do the right thing uh, to be able to protect their property, but also wanting to make sure that that uh, they don't get caught uh, breaking the rules that are currently in place and, and getting penalized for those. So, mm-hmm. um 
you know, some, some things that have happened recently that, that are encouraging to me. Uh, number one, uh, I think more people have taken notice. I mean, we're doing this podcast now uh, at our last board of commissioner meeting, uh, board of fire commissioners. Uh, we had some great public comment uh, to this. Um, I think over the past uh, two to three years, we've had more interest and more engagement from the community wanting to learn more about what the risk is on the island and what they can do uh, to help protect their property. Uh, and I think that that is a great uh, step forward for us to be able to have this discussion and for, for all parties to be able to listen mm-hmm. to, to what's going on. Uh, and I've also been encouraged that you know, there's been some organizations that have stepped up and have have tried to get involved in uh, addressing this, uh, and and most of it comes in the form of uh, discussions about how climate change is is uh, impacting their organizations and properties that they manage. Uh, we've had great discussions with the land trust uh, about wildfire and steps that the land trust can take to, to help make uh, some of those trust lands and lands that they manage more resilient. What do uh, some of those conversations look like with the land trust? Uh, well, a lot of the conversations uh, look like um, where uh, the human built environment interact with the natural environment. And a lot of this is about transitions. And I think that's where it needs to start high risk areas Uh, and, and those high risk areas for fires to start are going to be where development is. And what I mean by that is, uh, around homes, along roadways. Uh, and if you don't properly manage the transition into a more heavily vegetated area, um, we're going to have problems being able to suppress that fire. And there's, there's going to be a higher likelihood that that fire could uh, potentially uh, um, get out of hand. So uh, working with the land trust uh, to look at the lands that they managed and how they interact with nearby homes and structures, that's been a really good first step um, uh, with them uh, on that. Um, just within the past couple weeks, uh, uh, the city and the parks district have both contacted uh, the fire department and they uh, have asked for some help in uh, talking about uh, management of some of their properties uh, as it respect, as it uh, relates to, to wildfire risk uh, and uh, being able to um, engage and, and partner with uh with neighboring properties um, as well. So that's been really encouraging. Now, obviously, uh, you know, what we would like to see is for some actionable items to, to, to come mm-hmm. out of, of, of yeah, that dialogue. I, I, I want to see Suzuki and Strawberry Park cleaned up. I really do. I mean, I'm not worried about the 400 plus acres on the Grand Forest because it's lush vegetation. Strawberry Hill and Suzuki, especially because it's so close to the Commodore um, homes, you know, it's, it's where kids travel, it's by the schools. I could see accident happening there quite easily. Um, am I wrong to think that? 
it, there, there is certainly potential. We've had uh, uh, one brush fire that I can remember off the top of my head within the past few years that happened on the Suzuki property. Um, we were able to to uh, quickly contain it, so so that was good. Um, but um, yeah, there, there's there there are a lot of areas uh, uh, throughout the island uh, that that we consider priority mitigation areas that we need to focus on. And you're going to see those areas identified by uh, proximity to transportation corridors and density of homes in those immediate areas, because it's, it, it, you know, resources are, are limited. So you want to mm-hmm. try to do the most amount of good uh, for the most amount of people uh, that you can as, as we start to tackle some of these issues. So if you get on the fire department's website, uh, there's a lot of wildfire resources. There's access to the to the community wildfire protection plan from 2010, um, and there's a map in there that shows priority mitigation areas of of areas that the the fire department feels that we need to focus on first. And it's and, that, and there's no sh- no shortage of areas that uh, that that are on that map. And that's at bifd.org. Yes, sir. Right on. Yeah, I I don't know what the lack of action by the city of Bainbridge Island has been about the maintaining those parks that are public area. Uh, um, it just seems like there's another consultant talking about another idea every year, and in the meantime, it just doesn't get cleaned up. And the efficiency that the parks department maintains trails and picks up debris from trails is amazing. I think they do great work. And it'd just be nice to see that that area cleaned up right away. Um, sure. What are the evacuation plans? We live on an island. There's, you know, jump in the water or go over the bridge. <laughs> what is the 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 main plan of you know basically a one lane road out of Dodge? Yeah. So. Uh, the fire department, the city uh, partnered together and put together a, a wildfire evacuation uh, planning guide. Uh, that guide can be found both on the fire department's website uh, and also on the city's website. So I think one of the things that, that everybody needs to understand is uh, we live on an island. And living on an island, uh, there's an assumption of risk that goes along with that. <laughs> There's no hot there, there. There's no hospital here. Uh, uh, you know, there, there's only one road off of the Island. Uh, there's, you know, ferry to get to, to Seattle. So, um, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, that's a choice. And for those of us that, that choose to live in a, in a beautiful place, uh, you know, we, we want to make sure people are aware of, uh, some of the risks that go along with that. So as it pertains to evacuation, uh, anybody that thinks there's a silver bullet to a mass evacuation of Bainbridge Island uh, is kidding themselves. Uh, evacuation planning when we only have one road off is is really, really difficult. And the idea that we're going to be able to evacuate mass amounts of people uh, over the Agate Pass Bridge um, is not is is just not realistic. That's why these other mitigation 
efforts are so important for us to be able to do. That being said, uh, we do have a plan uh, to, to, uh, Ann Lesage, uh, who's the city's uh, emergency management coordinator, uh, and, and ours knowledge, uh, we have the only uh, uh, wildfire evacuation plan that's that's been documented in Kitsap County uh, for sure. Um, but it's an attempt for for folks to to be aware of some of the idiosyncrasies that go along with evacuation, because with all the emergency planning efforts that we've been doing. A lot of that's focused on earthquakes and and having enough mm-hmm. supplies to hunker down. So we realized as we started trying to formalize an evacuation plan that that message was going to be completely the opposite of what we've been telling people for emergency preparedness, mm. which was you know two weeks ready and be ready to hunker down um, and map your neighborhood groups and those kind of things. So. Uh, you know, we, we've created this notion of uh, evacuation zones on the island. Uh, we've prioritized certain roadways on the island. Public Works has been involved in the planning. Uh, but know that uh, the, the island's road network uh, does not have the capacity in a mass evacuation. So uh, we've got lots of uh, contingency plans in place that we've talked about. Um, like go buy a kayak. <laughs> well, um, so we, we we have had discussions with the Washington State Ferries mm. about being able to recall ferries and bring them in uh, to, to Eagle Harbor. That's a for good, us to good be able to, know. to load folks that way. Um, so the the state ferries have been on the loop on that. Uh, we've also identified uh, certain areas of the island, and again, so much of this is situational, depending on you know what exactly is going on, what the situation is, yeah. you know how fast it's moving. Um, you know, we, we've also identified areas that we may relocate people on the Island where it's, it's safer. Um, just, just to get folks out of the way. Um, and then, uh, there's, there's been another plan that, that, uh, Ann and I have, have talked about, uh, and we're, we're, we're in the process of trying to, to get the concept down on paper. Uh, but, uh, I, I've coined it the Dunkirk plan, and that is uh, getting people to uh, the water and evacuating people via water. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about necessarily formal docks or whatnot. I'm talking about uh, anywhere they can get get to the water, whether it's right. it's um, road ends or or whatever the case may be. And we've talked about uh, the coordination involved. Part of that in would involve the the, the city flotilla uh, that the city's been working on. But uh, the other part of it is simply coordinating with uh, citizen boats and the U.S. Coast Guard uh, to coordinate um, uh, citizens in, in uh, private vessels to be able to come and, and pick people up. And, and you know, that's, that's a worst case last resort uh, scenario. But if, if we're not being creative and thinking about uh, those those worst case scenarios and and what we may have to do uh, when those desperate times come, um, then then we're not we're not doing a good service uh, to the citizens. Yeah, I also think you know we we need to prepare for our um, domestic and and wildlife as well. Um, no, you know you, your lovely wife Heather is involved with pets, so so am I, and we 
tend to take care of a lot of dogs and people's pet needs here on the island. And that's something that's kind of lost at times. Like, what are you going to do with your dog, your chickens, your your horse, your goat? Um, there's a massive amount of wildlife here. There's a lot of other things to consider just besides your immediate self. Absolutely. Uh, it's, as you can see, it, the, these types of situations can get really, really complex uh, really quickly. So uh, one of the most important things you can do is uh, for yourself and for your immediate household is have a plan to take care of you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then the next thing is, you know, the, the neighbor on each side of you. Do you even know your neighbor? Do you converse with them? Um, yeah, talk a little bit more about this uh, mapping your neighborhood preparedness. Yeah, absolutely. So Map Your Neighborhood really is is the cornerstone of emergency preparedness uh, on the island. And it's, it's the idea of uh, this notion of a whole community approach to, um, to dealing with emergencies. No fire department uh, is ever going to be big enough to, to deal with uh, that magnitude 9.0 earthquake that impacts you know, uh, the, the, the island in its entirety, you'll never have enough firefighters to, to do it. Um, number one, we'd never be able to afford to do it, um, mm-hmm. as, as taxpayers. Uh, but, uh, what we see in those types of disasters time and time again is, uh, neighbors helping neighbors, citizens helping citizens. So, uh, map your neighborhood, is is our attempt to to be able to do that, and uh, basically it's it's getting uh, individual neighborhoods together. Uh, number one, meeting your neighbors, but number two, uh, making sure that uh, everybody has a plan, is holding each other accountable, and uh, uh, has the wherewithal to actually help each other out mm-hmm. uh, when we have a disaster. Because there's there's going to be certain scenarios where there's not going to be enough firefighters to go around. There's not going to be enough uh, police officers to go around. There's not going to be enough, uh, um, you know, official government uh, response agencies to go around. It's going to be neighbors helping neighbors and map your neighborhood is, is the platform that we're using uh, on Bainbridge to, to, um, to, to, to be able to raise that awareness and really get organized. And then the next step beyond that is, is working with the city and the nonprofit Bainbridge prepares where then we up that game a little bit and have, you know, organized uh, citizen responders to be able to respond to certain situations, whether that's uh, community emergency response team, uh, the, the CERT team, whether that's the Bainbridge Island Emergency Medical Responders, the Medical Reserve Corps, there's lots, lots and lots of different teams uh, that Bainbridge Prepares has where we're taking members of the community, we're getting them together, uh, you know, on a common mission and in a, in a, uh, on a common topic to, to do that. And I guess circling back around to your question about pets and, and livestock and those types of things, um, you know, there is, a, there is an animal care team part of Bainbridge prepares that is looking at and putting plans together to address that very thing of, all right, how are we going to deal with livestock evacuation? How, and, and we'll be able to, to activate that team 
and they'll be a central part of our response because the bottom line is, um, you know, both as a resident uh, and as a member of the fire department, um, everybody's going to be in this together. And when we have that bad day, it's going to take everybody working together to, to make a difference. So you mentioned quite a few programs there and um, talking about relying on our own village here. What's the one thing that I didn't hear you say is, is volunteer firefighters. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like here on the Island? Are there people ready to go in the wings that you can call upon that are residents that are trained and have an understanding? Yeah, we, we've got, we, we have, uh, the, the volunteer firefighter program, uh, uh, still exists on the Island. Um, uh, we have a number of volunteers. In fact, we've got uh, uh, a f- volunteer fire academy going on right now uh, with with some of our uh, new volunteer firefighters and EMTs. Uh, there's about a dozen of them that are they're training up at the Phelps Road Fire Station, uh, going through their their basic firefighter academy training. Uh, about how uh, long does that take? Uh, so that uh, latest academy started uh, last weekend. And that'll run through the second weekend of December. So it's set up where uh, they have uh, class Friday evenings, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And it'll take from, from now until the middle of December to be able to, to get all of that basic firefighter training. That's on top of having to go through their, their EMT training as well. Um, mm-hmm. which is, which is another three months worth of, worth of, uh, some wow. and weekend. So it's, what kind know, of person is attracted to that type of job? You know, six months of training and, and then volunte- volunteering for no pay. You gotta be a, what I would think a, a pretty special person. Yeah, d- d- definitely. The folks that, that we see going through the volunteer program these days are, uh, one folks that are really, really compassionate people that want to be able to help, uh, two, uh, you know, they, they kind of like some of the stress and excitement, um, mm, I get uh, that. That, that goes in with the response. Uh, and then, uh, the, the other part of it, uh, and, and we've seen a real big change in demographic over the past, uh, 15 years or so. Uh, I, I think if you look back 20 years, 30 years, uh, when you look at, at the composition of the volunteers, uh, uh, in the fire department here and in a lot of places around the country, um, that composition was citizens that want to be able to give back to their community and, and protect their community. Wow. Uh, that's changed. Uh, a lot of the volunteers that we see now uh, are uh, folks that are looking to make a career out of it and they want to get experience. So, hmm. um, we, we've had to, to uh, change uh, here on Bainbridge the, the way we, we've gone about uh, trying to uh, recruit folks and, and get them on board because, frankly, our demographic on Bainbridge um, isn't what it used to be. Uh, we, we have a lot of folks that um, uh, have jobs that don't allow them to, to just up and leave. Um, mm-hmm or they have jobs on the other side of the water. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the ongoing training requirements, um, uh, are, you know, are, are difficult. Uh, so it, it definitely takes the right kind of person to, to, to want to do it. And, um, 
That sounds like a needle in the haystack trying to find that person. Is it, are uh, you it, it, guys running it, into difficulties? Uh, you know, we've had a steady stream of volunteers that come in, but, um, you know, we're, we don't see the, the volunteers anymore that are staying on for 10 years or 20 years mm. because they, because they live here and, and it's what they want to do. You know, if, if we get, uh, two or three years out of a volunteer firefighter, um, we're, we're, we're calling that good. So, uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a revolving door, uh, but that's okay. Um, we, we still have folks that, that, uh, want to serve the, the community uh, on Bainbridge, whether they live here or not. And, um, it, it certainly keeps, uh, all the rest of the staff on the fire department, um, really on their A game because uh, some of the best ways to get proficient and to stay sharp at the craft of firefighting and emergency medicine is to train others. Teach others, yeah. So, um, so uh, you know, the, 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 the program um, has gone through an evolution uh, uh, on the department. And, um, you know, I, I think change is good. And, um, you know, we, we continue to move forward, looking, looking uh, develop that program and, and, and maintain a, a, a robust uh, volunteer firefighting force. Um, I, I will say that, you know, uh, when it comes to a disaster scenario, um, you know, that's where the Bainbridge Prepares group comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, you know, that, that really ginormous incident, the, the big, big earthquake, uh, for example, um, you know, we, we rely on that Bainbridge prepares group to give us that trained volunteer pool for, for those kind of, of responses. And they have a really robust pool. We're really, really pleased with that. The, the, the ongoing training requirements and commitment aren't nearly uh, as, as rigorous as being a volunteer firefighter. And those folks are still built into our response model. So it, it, it really kind of complements, uh, complements the response, uh, especially for, for those larger disaster scenarios where, you know, the person that, you know, they, they can't quite commit uh, to the, to the level of maintaining the, uh, the, the training and commitment for a, for a volunteer firefighter EMT, they still want to, to be involved and be part of that response. There's some great teams out there that, that, uh, that uh, we plan to utilize for big disasters, and uh, we've already utilized in, in some of our, our local responses already. All right. A couple more questions before I let you go back fighting fires. <laughs> um, what, one would be, um, what's your relationship with aviation? as a fire department, you were talking earlier about the, that you got information from a random pilot and then you had the flyover to confirm what's going on. How much of a, and you guys medevac, lots of people from the Island to Harborview. Um, Tell me how aviation kind of plays a role in your fire department. Uh, Well, I I think you hit uh, on a couple of the main points there is, uh, we deal a lot with uh, medical evacuations uh, via helicopter, whether that's airlift or life flight. Uh, we have the helipad at, at Station 21. 
as well as a number of other designated landing zones uh, spread out around the island. And uh, on average, uh, the past few years, uh, uh, we've we've had uh, airlift come out to to do a air transport of patients uh, around 50 times a year. So that's yeah. not an insignificant number. So uh, both airlift and, and life flight are really good, really, really good partners um, uh, in that endeavor. Uh, but we also have access to, to other resources as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Department of Natural Resources uh, has helicopters um, uh, that are available to us uh, during fire season. So and they have um, the ability to dump chemicals or water on the fire as well. Yep. They'll, they'll bring buckets in and are able to do that. Uh, we also have the ability, uh, heaven forbid, if we needed to, we could call in, uh, air tankers, uh, which are the ones that drop the retardant and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have access to, to bring those resources to bear. And, and, you know, there's, there's other aviation assets that, uh, that we can also call and have access to, um, uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, uh, and through uh, uh, NAS Whidbey, uh, through the, the Navy's uh, search and rescue. Uh, the Coast Guard have been really good partners uh, mm-hmm. for us as well, both with fixed wing uh, and rotors. Uh, we've used them in, in water rescue incidents and, and searches uh, in the Puget Sound. So I think one of the, one of the up-and-coming things uh, that that uh, is something that, that we're keeping our eye on is, is the idea of drones and, and being able to, to do some of that uh, on a more, uh, as you call it, hyper-local uh, t- type basis. Uh, South Kitsap Fire Rescue uh, on the south end of the county, they, they've recently uh, implemented a drone program and, and uh, we're keeping a close eye on that. To, so to, what a, sorry to cut know. you off, but what yeah. does the drone do other than you know, give you a visual. It's not carrying up buckets of water, right? Uh, no. Uh, what it can do is, is give us a visual. Um, uh, it can also be equipped with, uh, uh, infrared forward looking infrared. So, oh, okay. um, so if you're talking about searches for missing people in the woods, uh, which is something that we assist law enforcement with from time to time, mm-hmm. um, that, that's, it's, uh, it's something we can, we can, uh, utilize and, in that method as well. Not, not from a, a fire suppression. Yeah. Uh, it's not really a fire suppression platform. Informative. But in terms of situational awareness and, and searches is, is what the primary use of that would be. And getting our Amazon package. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, that just, you just sparked another thing with me though. Um, defunding the police. How does that affect the fire department? Um, I know Seattle's defunding it to some extent, and that's for lack of a better word, moving um, programs around and resources and such. Does that put an added strain to fire departments, especially the Seattle fire department? Uh, you know, I can't, I can't speak to, to the big city over there. Nobody's just, listening. Uh, Come on, Jared. But, but, <laughs> but I can speak to, to the relationship we have with with uh, Bainbridge Island Police Department and 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 local law enforcement here that that uh, that we work with on a regular basis, and the bottom line is uh, w- when it comes to the safety of the public and responses, uh, you know we rely on each other uh, in a lot of different situations uh, w- when it comes to uh, response of of folks that are in need. So um, uh, we train a lot with law enforcement. Uh, for active shooter situations, and 
Um, you know, we, we rely on law enforcement to protect us when we have to respond into situations that, um, that, uh, involve, uh, acts of violence and, um, you know, that they, they provide protection for us to be able to go in and, um, and do what we need to do to, to be able to save lives. Uh, we, we have a partner agreement with, uh, the Bamberg Island police department, uh, where, uh, we, we, uh, will put firefighters on the police boat, uh, for water rescue responses. Uh, they have, they have a, a, a much better, uh, boat platform, uh, than we do, uh, for that type of work, mm-hmm. uh, a much more stable platform, uh, a platform that, that, uh, we can go out and inclement weather. So, uh, yeah, there's, um, the, the, there's definitely, uh, some, some impacts that, uh, that we could see occur, uh, for reduction in, in certain programs. So we have, um, two of the main political players here on the island, the governor, Jay Inslee, who trumpeted climate control when running for president and continues to do so. And then we have the department of, of wildlife, um, Hillary Franz, who is pretty avid fire supporter. Um, do you think they are giving you enough of what you need as political leaders in our environment? So, um, you know, as, as it pertains to, to wildfire response, um, we've been really, really happy with, with, um, uh, the help and, and partnership we've had with the Washington department of natural resources. Um, uh, we've seen over the past few years, um, uh, a lot more focus on on wild for wildfire resources made available uh, to us, uh, whether that's aviation assets, uh, whether that uh, is uh, partnerships for resources for um, programs like Firewise um, and whatnot. So uh, we've been pretty happy with with some of the the improvements that have made been made over the past few years. Uh, with respect to to the support that uh, uh, that we've seen from uh, from the state, uh, ultimately anything like that, um, it uh, it it requires funding to to get those things done. So uh, whether or not the state legislature can uh, has and is able to allocate funds in those particular areas, you know that's that's really up to the politicians to figure out. But uh, from from my perspective, uh, we've certainly seen uh, seen an improvement. I've been happy with with uh, uh, some of the support uh, uh, for for statewide statewide uh, wildfire uh, uh, coordination and and resources. All right, Jared. Hey, I really appreciate you hopping on and talking fires, especially when it's pardon the pun a hot topic right now. Um, so anytime, Tim. Um, virtual day for preparedness is coming up Saturday, the 25th online, 10 to three o'clock. You can, um, get links at bifd.org and participate in learning more about, um, fire training and what you need to do as a family to secure yourself. Anything you Uh, want to add to that? Uh, yeah. Correction on that date. Uh, the Saturday, the 26th, 26th. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, it should be great. Uh, they're going to have panelists that are going to talk about uh, 
earthquake uh, earthquake uh, risk in history on Bainbridge Island, and there's going to be a lot of showcase of of uh, Bainbridge prepares and ways that that uh, everybody can get involved to to help with uh, uh, with making the island more resilient uh, uh, in the event of of an emergency, a pandemic, an earthquake, a wildfire, any kind of any kind of disaster because it's it's going to take all of us. So really encourage folks to to register for that and and attend and and uh, be inquisitive and and learn a little bit more about uh, what we're doing to to try to keep the island safe. Awesome. Thanks for putting that out. It's really um, a great resource. Um, send my best to your wife, Heather, and your son, Tyler. Will do. Thanks, I don't sir. talk to you enough. Um, it's good to see you. Even it's good to it's, see you, too. Even though it's virtually. Um, Chief, Chief Deputy Fire Marshal, Jared. Is that correct? Is uh, that your title? Uh, D- Deputy Fire Chief. I, I also serve as the Fire Marshal as well. Fire Marshal Bill. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jared, thanks for your time. You've been listening to The Bystander. You guys be kind and be safe out there. Hey there. Band of Steve's here. If you've enjoyed the music on this podcast and you'd like to learn music, get in touch with me. Electric bass, guitar, theory, voice, production, writing, Steve Newton Music at gmail.com. Hey, it's Michael Fabiano now with Sports Illustrated, and I'm here to help you through this wild fantasy football season. To win in fantasy, you need player rankings you can trust, and ours have received the top five accuracy award over the last three seasons. Sign up for the all-new SI Fantasy Plus at si.com slash fantasy. We even have tools that sync with your leagues and experts who are standing by answering your questions in our premium chat. Sign up for SI Fantasy Plus at si.com slash fantasy and win your leagues in 2020. That's si.com slash fantasy.